And so here I am today, and I shared with Pastor Brenda a few weeks ago, I think when she was over for our anniversary, where the Lord was leading me, and it's, it, it wasn't really a typical message for a guest speaker to come in, in my eyes. It was like, you know, maybe I was thinking I should be more of a cheerleader and just cheer us on and, and all of that. And I, and I want to do that, but at the same token, the Lord just laid it on my heart that, that we needed to talk about those things that, that kind of keep us from going deeper, those things that hold us back. What we're going to call them today are obstacles to grace. Obstacles to grace. Obstacle is that thing or those things that hinder progress. And grace is God's unmerited favor. So when we think of obstacles to grace, it are, they are those things that hinder us from experiencing God's full favor. And yet we struggle with them all the time. They're something that, that are a part of our life on a regular basis. And, and it, it just ends up being a struggle. And we just don't seem to experience all that God has for us. And remember, I started out saying, I want to experience everything that God has for me. That's why when I have people talk to me and they say, oh, Pastor Ken, you don't do this or you don't do this and you've never done this and, and the Bible really doesn't say you can't do this, I say, you know what? I understand that the Bible doesn't say I can't do that, but for me, if I'm going to experience everything that God has for me, then I want to remove that stuff from my life because I don't want anything to hinder. When God called me into ministry, the first thing he started to work on me, uh, it, it work in me on was the music that I listened to. And I'm not going to share that all music is bad, but, but what God wanted for me was that I needed to begin to change what I was bringing in. I mean, at 16, I drive around and I'm going to date myself because some of you will say who, but at 16, I had this souped up, you ready for this? Ford Maverick. I mean, that, that was a power car back in the day, right? Four-cylinder. But, you know, I, I like to pretend, so I put headers on it, or a header because it was only a four-cylinder, and I put glass packs on it, and I had 50-inch tires on the back with Krager rims. I, and, and for those who remember Starsky and Hutch, well, I didn't paint it orange and black, but I which that was my school color, so I could have gotten away with that, but I, I painted it candy apple red with the Starsky and Hutch black stripe on it. I mean, it was, it was a happening ride, but it had a thing in it called, an, brace yourself, an eight-track tape player. <laughs> mm. And I used to listen over and over to Boston. You know, it's been such a long time. <laughs> Think I should. I mean, but as as I began to go deeper in my life with the Lord, the Lord's like, you know what? I just need to start having you put something different into you. And so I had to begin that journey of removing some of the obstacles that may pull me away from experiencing the fullness of God. We live in a world that is, as we live our Christian life, we're affected by the world all the time. And in that, 
we find that these obstacles that come our way are very common and very alluring and very prominent before us. So I want to talk about today, and again, these, these things, I, I didn't really want to come here and talk about sin, but at the same token, we have to understand what the obstacles are so that we can thwart those, thwart, thwart those things. I don't, the Lord asked me to say words sometimes. I just can't even pronounce, but they come out anyway. So, so the reality of it is I'm, I'm going to have Pastor Danny come up, and, and I've got a, some clothing for him. I'm going to have him slip on this beautiful t-shirt. See, those obstacles that are before us are called sin. And sin holds the big eye. I mean, really, sin in our life is really all about me. I, 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 me, me, me. You see, sin is self-centeredness rather than God-centeredness. I'm so thankful that God saved us, that God went to the cross and, and sent Jesus to the cross and did the work that needed to be done for us to be saved and, and our salvation is there for us and it's a free gift and I'm thankful for that. But even in the midst of that salvation, we still don't experience all God has for us when we have the big eye. We want God-centeredness. Even as Pastor Brenda saying, preach what the Lord lays on your heart, not what I want you to preach, but what that's God-centeredness and not man-centeredness. Sin is alienation. Sin is separating us from God and not allowing us again to experience. The Greek word for sim, sim, sin is harimatea. Harimatea is a, a Greek word that came out of um, archery. It's an archery term, harimatea. It means to miss the mark. Many years ago, I enjoyed bow hunting. I was an avid bow hunter, and, and I, I have addictive personality or traits. I mean, I, have to, I really have to be careful because if I go after something, that's why I've tried to keep it. I'm going to be addicted to Jesus and, and let the other stuff go. But, but I got into the archery stuff pretty heavy years ago, and I know not only hunted, but I began to get into archery competitions and shooting and and even had have some trophies from winning competitions but to do that you have to miss the you have to hit the mark you have to hit the bullseye and if you don't hit the bullseye you fall short well god wants us to hit the bullseye god doesn't want us to miss the mark so danny I'm, we're we're going to we're going to see how good i can do i got got oh. I want us to grasp a hold of and understand. I, I came across this. I was, I was at Walmart the other day, 
And, and I came across this, and I said, "I said, oh man, this thing is, this thing is so cool." Pastor Danny and Josie were with us that last Tuesday night at our 3D Youth, and we had we had Nerf guns that we were shooting around. And then then I saw this, and I'm like, "Man, this isn't a Nerf gun. This is like a Nerf crossbow." <laughs> with lights on it and everything. And I thought, this will work. <laughs> so our goal in life is to try to not miss the mark. So let's see how I do it. I did pretty good the first service. I think I actually almost hit the bullseye, but you ready, Denny? Oh. I didn't do quite as well. I was right over to the side just a little bit. So we're going to talk about some of the things that that hinder that hinder us from experiencing all all that God is for us. And um, these obstacles, these hindrances come in two different ways. First, we're hindered in our relationship with God. And secondly, we're hindered in our relationships with each other. I mean, sin hinders our relationships with one another. And, and I'm thankful that God came to reconcile us to him and us to each other. But again, it's a conscious decision that we have to make every day to uh, walk in that way. So we're going to talk about a few first that are, are hindrances that hinder us from God. Idolatry. Worshiping and serving false gods. Deuteronomy 5, 7, and 8. And, and you say, well, you know, I, I serve God. That's all I serve. I don't have idols. I don't have things that, that hold me back from God. But let me, let me hold something up for you and, and um, let you see that there are idols that we have in our life sometimes. These, t these phones, these many computers that we carry in our pocket, which is really crazy to me because many, many years ago when I was youth pastoring, we took a group of people down to Fox Theater in Detroit and listened to a speaker by the name of Josh McDowell. And I mean, this was way back. And I mean, Josh, I I I've looked at him since then that as I've seen things play out that that he is a prophet. Because as he spoke to our teenagers that day, he began to tell us, and, and understand, we're back in the, the early 80s, and a computer in your home even was somewhat of a stretch. I mean, you had to be fairly wealthy to have a computer in your home, and you had to have quite a big, big area to have that. And I remember him sharing with us, there, the day is coming when every young person is going to carry a computer around in their pocket, and every home will have at least one computer, if not more. And I thought, there's no way. There's no way that that's going to happen. But here we are today, many of us, carrying our computers around in our pocket. We can communicate to anybody at any time around the world in an instant. And that can start to become our idol. What's an idol? An idol is anything that, that comes into our life that takes the place of God or comes before him that's more important. 
And these things have done that. That's just one thing. Finances, money. Money can be an idol. If we're out seeking money and trying to, to just gain it for us, then that's an idol. The second is blasphemy. Speaking irreverently or profanely of God, using God's name to curse or rival anyone or anything. Resisting God. Refusing to obey the will of God. I shared with the, the first service that um, I was called into ministry later in life. I was 27 years old when I was called into ministry. I began, um, even, even as a teen, I just had this desire to build things. I was always building things. Um, for many, many years after I left home, we lived on a five-acre piece of property, and, and I had built this um, hideout out in the woods. And, and I went back years later, and I thought, man, I, I sure didn't have a whole lot of skill at that point in building things. But um, the thing stood for years and years, but I, I loved to build things. So I went through high school, and I, I was not really a book-smart type of person. I'm more of a hands-on. That's why even as I share, I, I want to do hands-on because that's just part of who I am. And to be able to take a pile of wood or a piece of wood and, and turn it into something, just I, I just enjoyed doing that. So I thought that I was going to spend the rest of my life building houses, being a contractor and doing that kind of stuff. But then God got a hold of me. I was saved at the age of 16. Again, I'll date myself. I was at a truth concert at Midland in the Center for the Arts. And um, at the end of the service, they gave a call and, and said, whoever wants to receive Christ, come. And before I could even think about what I was doing, I was on my face at the front of that place, turning my life over to the Lord. And, and um, yet, through that journey... I still wanted to build homes. And, and as I began to go through a class called 2-7 uh, that uses a scripture rooted and built up in the faith where we had to memorize 66 verses through the course of time, uh, I began to see that I needed to submit my will to God's will. So I began to work in youth ministry with a friend Initially, it was to be like a bouncer, to just set in the youth and, and kind of keep them from killing each other. And then it, he one day came to me and said, next week you're doing the lesson. I'm like, no, I'm not doing the lesson. I can't even speak. I got a D- minus in speech class in school. I can't speak. You're going to do it, and God's going to help you do it. And I shared that lesson and through the next few months, I had other opportunities to share, and I began to see how God was using it. And, and then all of a sudden, this friend said, oh, um, in another couple months, we're leaving. We're moving on to another ministry, and, and we want you to carry on. And, and in the midst of doing that, at the age of 27, the Lord, one night at a concert or a, a conference in Ellsworth, um, had the worship leader point a finger right at me and say, I'm calling you into full-time Christian ministry. And as I heard that, I'm like, 
no, God, that's not the plan. And I resisted. And as I resisted, again, that became a barrier. My relationship with the Lord suffered, and then in that, then I made a deal with him and told him if he could make a way that I would follow. 27 years old, three kids, working a full-time job and, and youth pastoring at a church. I had to make a deal and told him, I can't leave to go to college. You have to make a way for this to happen. And, you know, we sing the song, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways I cannot see. He will make a way for me. As I was meeting with some other youth pastors, I began to share what God had called me to and the deal that I had made with them. And they said, well, that is available. It's available right in our denomination. We have pastors with their masters and doctorates that, that take the classes that you would have for us at Indiana Wesleyan University. And for a much cheaper price, you can have teaching in a small group. And for me, it was all about, I wasn't concerned about having a bachelor's in ministry and all of that kind of stuff. I wanted to fulfill God's call in my life, however that could happen. So a course that typically took close to six years for someone that was doing it part-time, God so favored me through that process that I got all 22 of the classes done in four years. And I mean, that was packing classes in because I still worked construction 60 hours a week sometimes. And I was working with a youth group. And I actually got to the point where I enjoyed book work. <laughs> That's when I really knew it was God. When I had to read five or six books in a six-week period, and I enjoyed it. And I got all A's through the whole process. I knew it was God. We can't resist Him. Ignoring God is a hindrance. Not making time for God in our life. I've been on the people at Sun Life Wesleyan for years to put together a spiritual growth plan to be intentional about drawing closer to God, spending time in prayer, spending time in His Word, not ignoring Him, not putting Him on the back burner saying, well, it, He's not working into my schedule today. Disobedience. Sin is intentionally Rejecting the relationship God offers and failure to develop the talents and abilities that God has given us. Have you had those times where you, you, you see that you have these gifts, but you really don't want to do it? Unbelief, refusing to believe and obey the truth. Ignorance, unknowingly alienating ourselves from God and others. Our lack, of our lack of understanding can defeat us. Pride, 
focusing attention on ourselves rather than giving honor and glory to God. Man, pride sneaks in there. Just sneaks in. You you accomplish something and you think, oh, I, I did I did pretty good at that. That was pretty good. We have to always understand that those things come from God. And it's only through Him. Pride, as we all know, Scripture, comes before the fall. Unforgiveness toward God and others. If we do not forgive, we cannot be forgiven. Matthew 6, 9 through 15. I think this is a huge one for us. Because in our society today, we can get to the place where we just think unforgiveness is okay. That person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. What they have done to me is so terrible that they don't deserve to be forgiven. Guess what? At 16, when I ran down to that altar, I didn't deserve to be forgiven. I hadn't lived a very good life up to that point. I had dabbled in alcohol. I had dabbled in drugs. I had dabbled in in other things. I didn't deserve God's forgiveness. But it's not about deserving it. You see, we we tend to think that forgiving someone else is all about forgiving them and forgetting something that they've done to us. It's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is everything about us. It's not what they deserve. If we hold on to it, then we miss out. It's really about setting us free, not setting them free. It's not saying what you did is okay and we're going to forget about it. It's what, what it's saying is, I need to be set free from this and I need to let it go. And you know what the worst area of unforgiveness that we struggle with? We, we can even forgive someone else. We can't forgive ourselves. That's just as bad as not forgiving someone else. And it is hard. Because even ourselves, we think we don't deserve it. I did such a terrible thing. I messed up. I don't deserve forgiveness. No one deserves it. But it's there for us. And when we're able to do it, it sets us free. Before I came to Beulah, I was youth pastoring in a small church south of Cadillac. And through the midst of our journey there, I was serving under a pastor that had been there for almost 20 years. He was a bivocational pastor, so he did construction and the church. His wife had 18 rental properties that he maintained. And as the Lord called my family there, God just blessed the youth ministry. And it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with the fact that our first meeting, because we went there and people told us, there are no kids here. I don't even understand why the church brought you in as a youth pastor because there are no kids here. So 
our first meeting in the basement of the parsonage, I set up 25 chairs in a circle. And I said, okay, God, they tell me that there are no kids here. But I'm going to trust you and know that there are. So for a whole week leading up, every day I went down and I laid my hands on every chair. And I said, God, I know this is nothing that I can do, that this is everything about you and showing yourself, but, and ask him to fill every chair. And glory be to God, our first youth meeting, he filled those chairs. And I praise him for that because it, it wasn't about me. Shortly after that, we had a, an all-nighter at the, the racquetball club in Cadillac. And I had set up vehicles for about 30 kids because I figured if there were no kids, we must have had them all, right? So we began to promote this all-nighter where they could play racquetball and basketball and swim in the pool and do all of that. That night, 60 kids showed up. Now, the church was only running 70. And, and, and I say all of this not to, to point anything to me, but the Lord began to plant a seed of doubt between me and the senior pastor. And the senior pastor started to look at it and say, you know, I've been here for 17 years and I've not experienced that kind of growth before. And a wedge began to, to go in between us to the point of after about two years into the ministry, that pastor invited us over to his home and we thought we were going to have a, a gathering where we shared coffee, which we had done in the past. And for the next two and a half hours, my wife and myself was totally ripped apart. And I was blamed for trying to take his place and trying to get him out of there. And, and my kids were terrible. And, and, I mean, it just went on. And, I mean, we, we were just devastated. Through the process, he left. And he walked over to my house one day, and he had a box of books, and he plopped it on my table and said, There, you've, got, you've had it your way. I'm leaving. And I again reiterated, I am a youth pastor. I had not come here to do anything other than pastor the youth. And it, it just ripped my and my wife's heart out through that process in the Wesleyan Church, the way that they, they work pastoral calls. If a pastor leaves, all the pastors have to resign and then... They bring in a new pastor. It was through that time that in the middle of our hurt and struggle, our district superintendent came to me and said, Ken, if you can go and do anything else, and I, I would give this, this advice to my own children, if you can go and do every, anything else and be okay with that, do that. He saw how I was hurting in the ministry. And, and so I pondered that for a lot of days and I come to the place of understanding that I could not go and do anything else. And through that process, the Beulah Church, which was then Beulah Land Wesleyan, um, 
used to be Beulah Wesleyan, and before that it was Wesleyan Holiness and, and Wesleyan Methodist. I mean, it had a lot of names through the years. And um, the district had voted to close the church. And this same district superintendent said, Ken, the Holy Spirit hasn't released that church. And even though the district has voted to close it, he said, I can't. And he's asking me to ask you to step into that place. I said, but I'm a youth pastor. I didn't, I didn't get into this to be a senior pastor. But again, when God moves, we have to follow. When he drove me up to the Beulah area and drove through town, the Lord began to burn a fire in me for the area. We went to the Hungry Tummy. Everybody know the Hungry Tummy, right? And him and I sat in there and had lunch, and I began to ask the wait staff where the Wesleyan Church was in town. Now, you guys know where Sun Life Wesleyan's at, right? You know where Hungry Tommy's at. There was no one in the restaurant that knew where Sun Life Wesleyan was or then Beulah Land Wesleyan. And God began to just put it in my, my spirit. That's got to change. For the first year, I was numb. Again, going back to how we were hurt by the pastor. Thank God that the church family there was gracious and loving, and they allowed us the time to heal. But the day came when the Lord said, Ken, you've got to forgive this pastor and move forward. Because my district superintendent began to talk to me about it, and he says, Ken, what I've noticed is anytime we talk about this situation, you never mention the name of the pastor. He said, you're holding on to something that you've got to let go. So I got on my face before God, and I said, God, how do I do this? It hurts so bad. What he did was wrong. How can I forgive him? And he says, and that's when he, he gave me for me at that point. Forgiveness is not about him. It's about you. So the Lord laid on my heart, and he does it different for every person, but he laid on my heart, you need to write a letter. And you need to send it. So I sat down and I began to, to put this letter together. And it, it went something like this. Pastor... I am so sorry for the part that I played in this situation. And I didn't really understand that your feelings were real. And I apologize for that. That's not what my desire was for the ministry there. And I never once put it on him, but I asked him to forgive me. And you want to experience something powerful? I took that letter, I folded it up. Well, I actually, because I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I do have some sense before me. I made three copies of the letter. I sent one to my district superintendent. I gave one to the chairman of my board. 
and I sent the other to the pastor, and I folded it up, and I put it in the envelope, and still was struggling with the whole thing until I walked into the post office of Beulah, and I slid that envelope through the mail slot. And as soon as that dropped out of my hand, I, I was freed. I mean, to the point of I began to speak the person's name. I began to pray for them. And it had nothing to do with me. Forgiveness can hinder us, or unforgiveness can hinder us in such a great way. And it doesn't allow us to experience God's favor. If you read the scripture about unforgiveness, when the, the portion where the servant went in to the, to the master and had a great debt and, the, and pleaded with the master, oh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And the master said, okay, as of today, you're forgiven, your debt's forgiven. He walked out of that place and he went to somebody that owed him just pennies compared to what he had just been forgiven and demanded that back. And that person, too, oh, please forgive me, forgive me. I'll take care of it, forgive me. And he had him thrown into jail. And the people around saw. And they went back to the master. And this man was brought back in. And he said, because you were unable to forgive little, I'm going to throw you in to the torturers until you can pay back your debt. And then the last words, and the same goes for anyone who holds unforgiveness in their heart, they'll be turned over to the torture. When I had read that before, I just thought of, you know, like getting your legs stretched and your arms stretched, you know, torture. But after I read that, in my situation, I realized that for one year I was tortured. My stomach churned when I heard the person's name. I, I held all of that. But the day that I let that go, the torture was gone. Real quickly, we'll go the obstacles in relationship with others. I mean, the big ones we know, murder, addiction, and abuse. Those are um, things that can take in so many different forms. Lying gossip or slander, saying things that with the intent of hurting others. And we need to be careful. We we term we our definition of gossip is pretty loose. I think there are sometimes in our holy ways, even our prayer chains become gossip lines. We have to be careful about gossip. It hinders stealing, coveting, an unhealthy desire for portion, power, property, and relationship. Laziness. Refusing to be a good steward of life, gifts, graces, and, pop, and property. And power God has entrusted to us. And then dishonor. Dishonor toward our parents, young people. Even if you don't agree with your parents or they're being too strict, honor them. I know parents are saying, listen to this guy. Honor your parents. For the church family, honor your pastor. 
Even when the Lord's leading your pastor to go in directions that you may not agree with, honor your pastor. It'll be a hindrance to your ministry and our social leaders. I, I hate where our country is at right now. But you know what? Every day I pray for President Trump. I don't agree with his ways. I don't agree with some of his choices. But what I do know is for this time, it's not an accident that he's there. So we as a church have to lift him up in prayer. It's really easy to point fingers at and be upset. And that's not saying that we can't stand for our values and all of that kind of stuff. But if it's to the point of tearing somebody else down, then that's dishonor. I'm a sports junkie. And I'm frustrated with the NFL because of this whole kneeling at the national anthem and all of that. I understand that those that are doing it have issues that are important, but the way they're displaying it, as we honored the veterans today, I had the distinct privilege yesterday of being a part of leading prayer at the Veterans Memorial in Benzonia and thanking our veterans for their service. The fact that we stand here today and are able to worship and we're not having the state come in and try to shut us down. I mean, that's a blessing. And um, so we need to honor them. There is a third obstacle in our relationship, and that's with ourselves. Lack of love. Refusing to love ourselves in a healthy manner so that we can love our neighbor. Great commandment. What? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, spirit. And two, just as great as the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't care for yourself. Bitterness. Bitterness is like a dangerous virus of the spirit that can quickly spread to others. Hebrews 12, 14, and 15. And then lastly, spiritual blindness. You know, growing up in the Wesleyan Church for many years, um, our traditions are different than yours. And not that they don't believe that some of those differences are real, they just for a lot of years, I think, chose to ignore them. So as I began to work in the ministry, I began to see that there was a demonic presence. That there was, that we had to engage in the battle. We couldn't turn a blind eye to the fact that the battle was there, which again was not normal in our, in our tradition. But again, we can't have spiritual blindness. So to recognize that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers and principalities of this dark world, and then going to war against them. 
very early in my ministry, I had the opportunity to minister to a young man who was a true Satanist. And when I say a true Satanist, he was one that had the number tattooed on his wrist that was registered in the Satanic Church in California with Antoine LaVey. And to see how real that battle was. He was a meditator. His place within the occult was to sit by the fire and meditate and call in the presence of the evil spirits. And he was also a bleeder. Satanists do everything to contradict the Word of God. So when they do communion, he was a bleeder. So they, he was one that would have his wrist cut to bleed into a cup for their communion. And it was just all bizarre to me. But as I began to counsel him, I saw how strong the battle really was. Um, I'd, I'd be sharing God's word with him, and all of a sudden his eyes would just glaze over. And I knew that he had already meditated his way out of into checking out of that because of spiritual blindness. I didn't even intend to bring all of that up, but spiritual blindness hinders us in such a great way. So I want to demonstrate how these obstacles um, just really don't allow us to experience everything that God has for us. So if, if we could have the lights off. What's really cool about God, there's a lot of things that are cool about God. But one of the things that is cool about God is he's, he's not, it's not like God has this blanket light that he just spreads over everything and it's not personal. You know, God has this light, this desire for us individually to experience his fullness. So this light is going to represent God's fullness. And I've got Denny in the back, and it's representing God's fullness on Denny. And as you see Denny right now, you can see that God's light is, is hitting directly on him. And at this point, he's experiencing everything that God has in store for him. But as I shared, I shared about these obstacles so if, if you would just call out one of the obstacles. After you do, I want to have you stand. Pastor Brenda, would you start us out? You know what some of them are? Idolatry. Idolatry. So um, she's going to represent that. Someone else. Unforgiveness. If you could come and just right where you're at, just turn and face Pastor Denny. Somebody else. Pride. Pride. You don't even have to stand in a straight line. You can kind of spread to one side and the other. We want to, because we still want to give some chance for the light. Somebody else. Unforgiveness. Blasphemy. Pardon me? Idols, sure, come on up. 
others toward the back. We had lying, murder, if we could have someone stand up and represent those back there. Anybody else? Slander, gossip, somebody want to stand up for, for those areas? Sure, the internet, the electronic devices. Yeah, as, as, as the light of God's favor is shining, how much of that's hitting Pastor Denny right now? Just very, just a little glow. So, so we understand that God is always there, but His fullness, these things hinder us being able to experience that. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you. You see, we, we tend to think so many times, well, my sin's not that bad, or mine's not like one of the great ones, so it's really not a big deal if I just hang on to that, because that's just my only little thing that I'm holding on to. But you can begin to see that as we allow things to creep in, it really does hinder us from experiencing God's fullness. And my desire for each of you is that you would experience the fullness of God everything that he has for you and not just a portion so we have to be um, aware and thoughtful of how we're able to do that the scripture says in first john 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and um I just lost the James 4 8 it tells us to draw near to God and he'll draw near to us to wash our hands of our sin and cleanse our heart of our double-mindedness pastor Brenda has been talking a little bit about double-mindedness so can any of you tell me what that is let pastor Brenda know that you've been listening Double-mindedness is what? <laughs> saying one thing and believing something else? Saying one thing and doing something else? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times we think, well, if I just go around and I proclaim Christ with my words, that everybody's just going to jump into action with that because I proclaimed it. But the old adage that actions speak louder than words, it's not so much about what comes out of our mouth, but what comes out of our life. So if we're going to be witnesses to God, it's not just about going out and, and hollering about the things that we don't believe and that we don't stand for, but it's really more of the love of Christ flowing out of us that others would be able to experience that. You've heard the cliche, right? People don't know how much you care until, or how much you know until they know how much you care. It's that whole issue of living a life that's pleasing to God. That means, in order to do that, these things have to be removed. We can't love others if we struggle to love ourselves. 
We can only love God as much as we love the person we love the least. When I learned that years ago, that was powerful for me. You cannot love God any more than you love the person you love the least. I mean, that's kind of heavy and deep, but if you're holding hate towards someone, we can't love God any more than that. That has to be removed from our life if we're going to love him fully. So, and just kind of wrapping up, we have the cross, and God says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why does he do that? Because he already paid for them. He paid the price. You know, the bill came due and he paid it, and that was sending his son to the cross to die for us. So, if we let this part of the cross, the vertical, represent our relationship with God, and the horizontal, our relationship with each other, if we can just lay all of those things on the cross, he's taking care of them. They're not ours to carry anymore. Unforgiveness, self-hate, all of those things, they've already been paid for. And if you hold on to them, and I'm going to be kind of direct, we're stealing. Because they're not ours to hold on to. Scripture says that God has come to set us free, that we'd be free indeed. He paid the price. He paid the debt. They don't belong to us anymore. They belong to him. For the joy that was set upon him, he endured the cross. He endured it because he's saying, I'm going to get my checkbook out and I'm going to write the check. Not for just this, you know, umbrella, but for each one of us individually, he wrote the check. So when we hold on to these things, we're stealing from God. We have to give them back to him. We confess them. We offer them back to him. And he cleanses us. He sets us free again. He breaks the bondages that hold us from experiencing his fullness. I want to experience his fullness. Do you want to experience his fullness? Do we? Then we have to be active in removing the obstacles. He's made the way. He's given us the tools. There's no way I could build a house without a hammer and nails or even now an air hammer or nail gun and all of those things. We have to use the tools to build the house and we have to use the tools that God has given us to live an abundant life that we experience in his fullness. He's able. He's able to do beyond what we could ever imagine or think. We just have to trust him and give it to him. God loves you. And God so desires for you to experience his fullness. Benzie County doesn't stand a chance if his church, if God's church would live in his fullness.
doesn't stand a chance. The power of God would overtake this community. If we were all living in abundance. So it starts with me. It starts with you. Each one of us casting those things aside and making a conscious decision to say, I'm going to walk in the fullness of God. I'm going to daily remove those barriers. I'm going to moment by moment remove those barriers as I seek God with everything that I am. Let's stand. Let's say together, I want to live in God's fullness. Now let's say it like we really want to. I want to live in God's fullness. One more time. I want to live in God's fullness. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your great mercy. We thank you for the fact that even in our, in our shortcomings and our failures that it's only us that holds us back from living in your fullness. We allow failures to come and overtake us and, and, and we lose sight of this fullness that you have for us. And, and because we don't see the light shining, we even make statements like, God, where'd you go? We're, we, I don't see you anymore. And, and you answer, I'm right here. Son, I'm right here, daughter. I'm behind this mess that I've already paid for, that I've already given you the tools to remove, and yet it's hindering everything that I have for you. So give it to me. team come.